0: You are listening to Faithless Brewing, a Magic the Gathering podcast for the Spike Road. Each week we design new decks for tournament play. We put our creations to the test and share our findings on the air. Modern has a new combo menace and her name is Rosie Cotton of South Lane? Mord and Mana Symbol are joining forces to find the most worthy companions for the bravest little hobbits in all the land. This is part one of our Brewer's Guide to Lord of the Rings, Tales of Middle-Earth. Thanks for listening and enjoy the show!
1: And welcome to Faceless Brewing. Tonight, our beautiful CEO, or the evil overlord of our future world, as you might know it in a few days by the time this is released, Cape Dan is on a trip. We don't know where, we don't know why. He says it's something about his family. We know it's something about nefarious scheming and world overtaking. But that's not what we're here to discuss. So, however, I'm here with the beautiful, the most Canadian of our members, Zach Reel, better known as Mana Simba Online. How are you doing, Zach? Been a while, buddy.
2: Yeah, I'm so, so excited to be back with you, Emmy, my friend. Uh, You're one of my favorite people in the magic sphere. Uh, For those who don't remember the start of our illustrious career together, we did a a three and a half hour of episode of uh, Serum Visions once upon a time talking about endless deck lists that uh, happened right after the giant scorched earth banning in modern that took out Uro and Field of the Dead and, and Mystic Sanctuary and all that nonsense And uh, it's been a pleasure to, it was a pleasure to share with you, with the world, and and see what a wonderful steward of Faithless Brewing you've been while I've been gone.
1: Um, And someone had to take the banner. I I didn't take your position. We got in here together. We're going to stick to them. And now you're back. So, Danny's gone. We can just get and hinge together. Exactly. Even more importantly, Dan's not here and he always says when he
2: has to listen to these episodes he's like, "Oh no. What are they going to do?" It's like it's like leaving it's like leaving the teenagers at home and with like pizza money and being like, "Okay, you know, I know something's going to happen. Just don't burn down the house, I guess." That's the only thing I can ask for.
1: I mean, he knows it's going to be fine. He's just afraid of how long the content could be. Yeah, that, that's the number one concern
2: is he's usually just worried about the length. But uh, you know what? We'll open it up to uh, our wonderful listeners and especially the wonderful members of our Discord to comment. Uh, some, give, give us some feedback on this episode. Do you like it when we go long? If so, you and I can go as long as you like Uh, on on the contrary do some people like it when we stick closer to the one hour per episode format are you really a stickler about that let us know and the easiest way to do that is on the discord or of course on any of our social media we're on twitter um but in order to join the discord you can of course join the patreon and uh send some money to uh faithless brewing uh, support everything that we do here sometimes we need new equipment we do have some new patrons to thank for joining up, I believe. Is that right, Mord?
1: Yeah, we have two new beautiful patrons, Stoffer W and Brennan A. Thanks so much for supporting the Faithless Brewing crew. Our new microphones and sometimes new setup, really thank you for that. Every single patron just helps us keep going and delivering new episodes. And at least today, some unhingedness about a new set. Yeah, uh, if Topher is who I think you
2: are, uh, this one of the people I was rooming with uh, in Vegas. A very cool guy, so hi, Topher. And if you're not that Topher, you're a different Topher, but you're probably just as cool.
1: But also, hi, Topher.
2: <laughs> right, also, hi, Topher. Um, regardless, what are we here to talk about? We're here to talk about a whole bunch of Lord of the Rings spoilers. Uh, we just got a glut of them over the last uh, little chunk, and that's going to be very exciting to start... Um, going through these cards and seeing what is worth playing with. I know we had a, a small number from a few months back um and we had also very little information on them. We didn't know what being tempted by the ring was. So we're going to get into uh all of that. All the details. Yeah. So one of the things is this full set is coming out in just a couple of weeks now, right?
1: It's 30 days sorry 20 days 20 days in 20 days it releases on mtgo we're gonna start seeing more spoilers in around a week we are recording this on the beginning of June, ending of may in a few days spoilers are gonna start heavily we just got like the first wave you know like before spoiler starts the video the introduction and everything mm-hmm. but we are gonna see starting next week we're gonna see a lot of spoilers and we just have to get ready this is a big set like 288 cards if i'm not wrong yeah, it's
2: definitely a like full, full-sized set. Uh, but let me tell you one thing it isn't. This is not Modern Horizons 3. Uh, oh, I think that's Ethan. pretty clear from the cards we've seen so far. Uh, I just remember that there were some sort of murmurs from people that in, in terms of the pace at which they had been uh, releasing Modern Horizons sets, that this actually slotted into a similar spot where one would have pred- predicted Modern Horizons 3. And some people were uh, thinking that the power level of this set might be uh, up there. And yeah. uh, so we might have to be facing a lot of, you know, turn one golems and, you know, I- evoking uh, Gandalfs to stop, uh, you know, your opponent's <laughs> solitudes or whatever. And uh, now that we have a good look at the set, I think we can pretty clearly say this is this is not
1: that. This is not that, but at least for what I have seen, it seems a bit stronger than a neutral standard set, at least for some of the cards I'm seeing, which is enough to make me happy. Like some modern acquisitions without anything being broken is exactly what I'm looking for in every set. Right. And it should be
2: because it's not um, being part of Pioneer even. So they really kind of set the bar uh, in a spot where it's like, okay, we're doing something new that we've never done before. Um, We're going to make it legal in modern, but not in Pioneer. And I would expect... To see more of these kind of releases in the future. With the specific reason being that Legacy is a very difficult market to um, to design and print new cards to include uh, functionality for Legacy. Um, it is the only format that gets commander cards in it. And those <laughs> sometimes have semi-disastrous results. Um, and I think... Initiative. Yeah. And, and in this case, by having more of an idea that, okay, this isn't a multiplayer-focused set. But we are going to remember that we're putting it in a constructed format. Um, then they'll have a little bit more of a way to kind of dial in how they're designing it. And it makes sense to go, okay, this is going in modern, but it's not going in pioneer. Like that is a very distinct power level that they can yeah. um design other sets for, much like modern horizons.
1: Yeah, I think they went through that idea, but weren't hoping most cards to stick. We're seeing for the first time in a few at least months a Chumana Chuchu Vanilla. Mm-hmm. Which is something I was at least missing. Yeah, yeah. But before we get a lot deeper into Lord of the Rings, it's worth noting a few hours ago, maintenance ended on NTGO and we've actually got two-factor authentication going. Yeah. Uh... Just wanted to thank State Break on that. Finally, we have two-factor authentication.
2: Yeah, it's, um, it's really funny. This was uh, always a sticking point that uh, Jeff Hoagland would rail, rail against back in the day. Um, this was like four or five years ago that it was <laughs> like, how do we not have two-factor identification uh, in a game where your collection can be worth... You know, some people have collections that are worth thousands of dollars. Um, and even if it's not, you know, for some people, the hundreds of dollars that your collection is worth, that's a yeah. a, a lot. It's a big deal to some people. So uh, I just want to thank Daybreak Games for most of the stuff they've done since they've taken over. And especially this one. Thanks for pointing that out more. That's a big deal.
1: But yeah, with that being said, there's not much to talk regarding magic besides Lord of the Rings.
2: I mean, we got a lot of Pioneer stuff coming up, but we'll, we'll touch on that later. Yeah. Uh, in other episodes, uh, we have a returning mechanic, a mass. Uh, in this case, it got a new word attached to it. Now it's a mass orcs. Um, so the example I pulled from one of the cards later on, it says a mass orcs two, put two plus one plus one counters on an army you control. Also, it's an orc. If you don't control an army, create a zero-zero black orc army creature token first. So what this suggests is that this um, syncs up with the previous printing of a mass in such a way that if you have a zombie army uh, and then you play one of the new Amass cards, it's going to gain the size uh, that you'd expect it to, and then also become an yeah. orc. So you'll have now an orc zombie army, uh, an amalgamated army. So the armies uh, uh, have have unionized zombie orc army. Yeah, well it's just part arc and part zombie right it's like how the creature type on uh, <laughs> what is it galta and maverin is dinosaur vampire it's not a dinosaur vampire it's a dinosaur and a vampire exactly this
1: is orcs and zombies a zombie orc army the best yeah. sort of army
2: i find a mass to be a really underwhelming mechanic but it's a fine thing for limited i don't think any of these cards will make any particular constructed impact whatsoever
1: I think there is one that's going to be just completely insane. But before before we miss Amas, I'm just going to say Amas in Spanish is traduced as enrollar, which is like recruiting, but also. Recruit, yeah. But also, this, it sounds really like an English way of saying um, enrollar algo, which is like roll down, or. It yeah, it's Went funny. down a grain of just joint than marijuana show extremely fast. Like people cannot say amas. Mm, mm, mm. We don't say enrollar like at all. It's same with Amas. R- roll it up. Yeah, 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 yeah. I get it. I get it. That's funny. Or like Amas, which is related to "amasar," which is what you do to a dough. That's funny. <laughs> and which sh- it just never works. Like "amás" just failed as a translation completely. Localization is always I think enlist would have been good, but I feel like enlist a- a is already a mechanic. Better. Um anyway. <laughs> I think it is somehow. But yeah, so disregarding Amas and it's terrible translating, we start with a land cycle that I think just missed the mark in... I think there's one that's playable.
2: Yeah, actually, I wanted to link this one, and I I forgot to put the the picture in here. I I was going to put in the black one, Baradur. Oh, yeah, that was the two I ensured. Baradur,
1: I think, has a slot, like, bought in into coffers.
2: Yeah, exa- exactly. So um, for the for everyone who hasn't seen these, uh, Birad Dur is a legendary land. It has the same text as this whole cycle, which is it enters the battlefield tapped unless you control a legendary creature. I don't imagine that the deck playing this would have too many legendary creatures. Nope. Uh, it taps to add a black, but here's the ability that we're interested in. XX black tap, amass orcs X. Activate only if a creature died this turn. You can activate this as an instant, And if you're playing the coffers deck in modern, uh, you could have a lot of mana lying around. So you just go here. I'm going to kill one of your creatures on your turn. And then at the end of that turn, I'm going to tap my coffers and like, yeah, make like a seven, seven. Like it's not, I'm not saying this is good. I'm not saying it's something you will do, um, but I'm saying it's a fairly powerful card. And I'm shocked that it doesn't have a sorcery speed restriction. Yeah, I I agree. And then you threw on here. Yeah. Minas Tirith. I Minestead mean, is,
1: is, I think, also a good one, especially because a lot of white decks are going to play enough legendary creatures for this to maybe come in untapped. Like, I think this is one of the few that can actually consider the restriction and consider it might enter ta- um, and tap. Yeah, and pay two mana to draw a card by attacking with two creatures is, I think, super common in mono-white decks. Especially ones that we have access to Adeline, which is a legendary, which generates two attackers and makes this untapped.
2: Yeah, it's certainly a card that, like, could play. I think white creature decks. Yeah, white creature decks are the most likely to have this come in untapped. Um, not on turn one or two or anything like that. But like you know, there's your third or fourth land, whatever. Um, and uh, and then the the uh, activation cost is just it's cheap, right? And it fits yeah. with what you're doing anyway. So it's a minor utility land. That I think will be fine. Uh, Rivendell looks like pretty garbage. Uh, it's it's C- Castle Ardenvale with more steps. Um. And I don't think we have the full cycle yet, so. Hmm. We'll have to see what red and green have to offer us.
1: No, 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 we have everything. Green, I don't, we don't have green, but we have red, which I was considering just because it's. So, Minds of Moria, give me a second, Ambulance. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Downside of living on the first floor, you know. Here, yeah, uh, I can
2: read the minds of Moria. Uh enters the battlefield tap unless you control a legendary creature tasks red. Three in red, exile three cards from your graveyard, create two treasure tokens. Actually, that's really good too. I, I hadn't seen this one. Instant
1: speed making two treasure tokens yeah. isn't terrible. It's a piece of material you can interact
2: with. No, actually, this is uh this is more again, this is more generous than I expect. So um well done on that one.
1: I think that not having just as a
2: sorcery
0: clause
1: yeah. is what's making them it's just something they get because of we're not in pioneer you know i guess so or standard but either way i'm I'm happy to see it so uh yeah I agree. Uh, yeah
2: maybe the green one will be playable uh, time will tell time will tell yeah. so
1: getting away from the lands we like them we don't love them we have many partings a card i think i'm in love with okay so we've got a green
2: sorcery search your library for a basic land card reveal it put it into your hand and then shuffle, create a food token. So uh, I believe this is Dan wrote this here, a tune with aether vibes. Someone asked if this is the second coming of Astrolabe. Yeah, it certainly has some similarities to both those things. Uh, A tune with aether a little bit more. So Um, creating a food token at this cheap value is nice for any, one that has artifact or food synergies. So if you were playing maybe an Asmo deck that wanted to go slightly bigger Uh, so you wanted to have something like this I think Traverse the Olvenwald is going to be in most cases better but uh, yeah I can see this having some use at some point.
1: So I remember a few weeks ago I was uh, actually a few months ago I was talking about what's missing for Academy Manufacturer and that deck to be playable in modern Uh, because it's like a tier 15 and I said we need stuff to make food for cheap because yeah. it's the worst. You cannot. You are never going to get stuff that makes either treasures or clues for really cheap. Because that's a good piece of material. But food sucks. Yeah, food is food is kind of the cheapest one, right? May, maybe enough for cars like this to start appearing. Like I, I, I love this. as a one of our two of in an academy manufacturer. Like a, a basic land that also tra- nets you a clue if you have a manufacturer mm-hmm. or if you have a chatterfang a one one. That starts to speed up incrementally. Yeah.
2: Okay. That's that's definitely something worth taking a look at when we start building those kind of decks again. So, uh, I included this next one. Yeah.
1: Oh, I love like, I love the next one.
2: Yeah, I, uh, people have talked about it. I, I was very skeptical of it, but please take us through the delighted halfling.
1: So, delighted halfling, one green mana for a halfling CD saying a uh, one mana one chew that has you can tap it for colorless, or you can add one mana of any color and spend it only to cast a legendary spell and it can be countered. So it's a Cavern of Souls for legendary spells. I think it's super important this isn't talking about legendary creatures, but legendary uh, yeah. spells. Big that's big fan of huge that. huge in the difference of how playable this is. This allows turn to the Ferry, and that's a big deal.
2: Okay, and um, the stat line of 1-2, we obviously it's, know yeah. for modern is very important, so you just don't get pinged down by run I think this might be the best mana rock just on the back of it being
1: a 1-2. And it's for colorless in case you want to do some kind of Eldrazi nonsense. Uh, I, I would love to play... It. So well, the first deck that came to my mind when I watched this is something I know like isn't good, but remember Spike was playing an Eldrazi deck a while ago, like mono green Eldrazi? Yep. So this allows you to have eight, eight mana dorks at tap for colorless, while also allowing you to play a turn of three card, the, the, the four mana card and Contorable. Yep, yep. And that's at least something to look into. Yep. Yep. Definitely a consideration. This is the kind of card we're looking for, right? It it's it's on rate with other cards of the format, but it has unique appeal. Exactly. So being on rate, maybe a slightly above is exactly what I'm looking for in a card on this sort of set. Like even if, if we get like eight, nine cards like this, that chassis modern player would be super happy.
2: Yeah, and and that I would be very very satisfied, especially if the card is delighted halfling like that. <laughs> that could just be in in the uh, AFR, or any other set.
1: It's not specifically Lord of the Ringsy. I'm gonna propose when I when we get to one of the two drops that exact theory that that's on purpose. Oh, I think so too. I think so, so too. Okay, we can discuss that now. Then I think yeah, they're gonna make the powerful cards non legendary ones mostly, or at least not like they just are straight-up value ones or not the most common names to avoid people going like, oh, yes, yeah, Transfigandalf
2: 3 Yeah, well, and, and more importantly, they can then be reprinted in non-Lord of the Rings sets.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And they can just forget about it. So next we have uh, two cards that are here just because of one of their abilities, right?
2: Yeah, absolutely. They're both commons. They both cost six. Uh, it's very reminiscent of the set Scourge where this uh, mechanic was introduced. So we have the Generous ant and the Oliphant. Um, both of these are draft commons. And I, I mean that in. Six mana, big,
1: big, yeah. chunky creatures. Rage 5-7, yeah. and trample 6-4 with vanilla text alongside it.
2: But the ant has forest cycling, and the elephant has mountain cycling. And in each case, it's a single generic mana. So this is the cheapest forest cycling and the cheapest mountain cycling that have ever been printed. And it's not even basic cycling. Correct. So you can get a fetch land or a triome. Uh, so not a fetch land, a shock Shockland. land or a triome. Um, so that's it's uh neat. Uh once upon a time even in standard, in fact in that standard when it was uh onslaught mirrodin, there was a eight land belcher deck. Um and the key to that deck was to use uh, land cycling cards to get all the lands out of your deck and then belcher your opponent. So you did play lands because you had to, because it was the only way to make mana. But it, like once you had a, the minimum number of lands, what you did is you used land cycling cards to get all the lands out of your deck and then yeah. you belchered them. Um, so it's like an honest belcher deck, let's say. The first belcher. Yeah, it was basically... Um, I don't know if these will be actually played or that useful, but it's a good tool to know that you now have yeah. access to. Uh, next up, we have a really, really cute design. Long list of the ends. Yes. it is. This is a saga with six chapters uh, for a single green mana, and it has a kind of complicated and very low impact ability so every single turn you're going to get the same trigger note a creature type that hasn't been noted for long list of the Ents. when you cast your next creature spell of that type this turn that creature enters the battlefield with an additional plus one plus one counter on it so this only works once per turn you choose a single creature type and it is one that has not been named yet by this card it's not
1: yeah uh this is just really cute I think it's super cute. I don't think it's particularly playable. Like, the first thing I did when I saw this was, I went to the Hardened Scales deck and I started looking at the creature types. Because you could go turn 1D, turn 2, name Insect, play a Savas, Turn 3, name Construct. They have Kangaroo Walker that only paying 2 mana is a 2-2. Then you can name Beast. But sadly, most of the creatures in the deck are actually just Constructs. Yeah,
2: yeah. Uh, except for Arcbound Ravager.
1: Yeah, Ravager is a Beast
2: and Savas is an Insect. yeah. Yeah, but you're right. I mean, I just, it's like an anti-tribal card. Um, I guess the other deck that you could use this in for some reason would be like Infect, So if you wanted to cast this on one and then for the next couple turns, uh, all the hierarchs that you play are different creature types. You could name human for ignoble or for noble hierarch, goblin for ignoble hierarch. Um, You can name Phyrexian for any of the infect creatures. But I think almost all the playable ones are different creature types, too. So I think every single creature in the infect deck, you could uh, if you're careful about how you choose the creature types, there is not a single
1: overlap. I mean, if you're just looking for straight-up sort of counters, you play this in a Magda deck as a way to make all your world ones choo-choos. Yeah, um, but again, only one per turn. And that's the yeah, thing yeah. is,
2: like, in modern, you're. I don't think you're going to get a lot of decks that are, like, a creature-focused deck that's playing cheap creatures that's like, yeah, I only want to play one per turn. Like, that's just not, not going to happen.
1: This is one of the cards that make me happy for the flavor of the set, because I can mm-hmm. picture three beers just reading, oh, yes, Hangerback Walker. <laughs> yes, we were waiting for you. Oh, the second end. I met him while ago. Yeah, of, of course. Hey, where am I, the insect? Uh. And then just going step by step. This is one of those cards that just reminds me of having enough lore of the Lord of the Rings to make me happy. I... I-
2: over the uh, over my vacation to Brazil, that was uh, during the winter, I watched uh, all the Lord of the Rings movies again, and I f- I either forgot or I'd never seen the
1: cut where Treebird reads some poems. It's extended edition. A lot of yeah. people have never seen extended edition because it's a lot slower. Like, you have to love Lord of the Rings to love Extended Edition. And the thing is, I which I did, but the thing is, I've seen the Director's Cut, and I think the Extended
2: Edition is even longer than the Director's yes. Cut, and I just hadn't realized that there was an even longer one. Like, that was... I'd already seen the long one, and it's like, no, 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 there's more.
1: So the, the, the Director's Cut was what came after the Extended Edition because it was just insanely long, mm. so it was like a middle point. You can have a yeah, bit yeah, more, yeah. but not that much more.
2: Right. It's like the, my favorite cut of Watchmen is that one, essentially, because there's there's an extra sp- plot line that gets added that's not useful in any way to the, okay. to the full, full version. Anyway, moving on to another cheap uh, token creator. We've got Shelob's Ambush, a single black mana for a combat trick. Its uh, target creature gets plus one, plus two and gains death touch until end of turn. Create a food token. It has to be one of the most stacked combat tricks we have ever seen, especially as a common. Yeah, I this this thing is ridiculous. This um, this really reminds me of the, there was a pirate themed one from Ixalan that is one of the greatest card names of all time. That of course I can't remember right now. Um, hold on, what is the one? It's it's not boondoggle. It's not hornswoggle. It's oh the non the non one. It's like target creature gets plus one plus one, and target creature gets minus one minus one oh no 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 uh
1: so the one i'm thinking about is fungal spawn the one that gives you a one one and gives a creature like minus one minus one that's what I mean, no that's
2: yeah. dominaria that's that's dominaria hold on i'm finding this thing uh is it? skullduggery there we go target creature gets plus one plus one target creature gets okay. minus one minus one It's just insane. It it just leads to a double kill blowout in almost every situation. Um, This one is just incredibly generous because your creature is almost definitely going
1: to live. And even if it's not, their creature is definitely going to die. Plus one, plus two is a lot. Like you attack with a bunch of one ones, your opponent cannot even block with a two-two efficiently.
2: Right. But then also, even if your creature is a one-one and their creature is a seven-seven, you just death You trade and you get a food. Yeah. Yeah. And if you're on the defensive, it's even great. So this this is an insane combat trick like it's probably one of the more generous ones and then no matter what happens you get a food
1: yeah yeah I like this one no not even your creature has to kill something not even anything just make a food now that said in
2: order to take advantage of it as a cheap way to generate uh, the game object you need to have a creature target which so I don't really see this as ever
1: being a constructed card but no no at least uh, yeah I would see this in Pioneer standards, just never in Modern. That's, I think, why they're making this a common. I think this is going to be a great draft set. I think they're going to have some really good archetypes.
2: I can imagine a world in Pioneer where you have the, like, mono black or black-red mid-range deck. If you ever needed an extra tool against, like, Burn, then you
1: could play this.
2: But you don't need more tools against Burn because your deck is already insane against those anyway, so
1: yeah anyway anything that for one mana makes a game object is something to always have in the back of your mind like if yeah. one day i wake up and my creativity opponent goes stomping around many partings i'm yeah. not gonna get surprised no it's something no. it's always that something that's bound to happen at least once yeah yeah absolutely uh
2: next up though i think we have one of the cards that just seems to be a shot at constructed and it's a rare of course, yeah. so uh, this is Orcish Bowmasters. For one and a black you have a Flash 1-1 Orc Archer. When Orcish Bowmasters enters the battlefield and whenever an opponent draws a card, except for the first one they draw in each of their draw steps, Orcish Bowmasters deals one damage to any target, then amass Orcs
1: one. I think this card is insane. I think this is a... Like, on the low end, like on the extremely low end, this is a 2-mana 2-2 that pings on ETV. Yeah. And after that, it works as a stacks bear that any lecher's trigger, any Mishra bubble trigger, literally any card your opponent's draw, even a country punishes them because this is any card, it's not the first card it's turn, like arrow set yeah, is, yeah, yeah. it's the first card outside the draw step, so you cast a and consider on the end step, I get a 1-1 one, one, and you get ping.
2: Yeah, this is the, the Notion Thief text. Um... Yeah, I mean, it triggers off Mishra's baubles, it triggers off... Letter yeah. of Gun of Everything, everything, everything. Yeah. Everything that draws a card other Paladin than draw trigger.
1: Stat. Paladin yeah. ETV trigger. What I think this is insane is mostly in Legacy. Imagine your opponent casts a brainstorm, you flash this scene, and you get to hit them for three and get two mana, five, five worth of stats. Yeah. And you bolt their face.
2: Yeah, it's pretty good. Um, yeah, time will tell if modern is a format where this is playable. It is black, which is a, a bit of a donk against it. Um, you, you, you can play this in Recto Scam, so I'm sure people will try it. Uh, other than that, I don't think it has any natural homes, but there's definitely.
1: Yeah, I don't. Maybe when Scam runs this, I don't. I'm not sure if this card. This card, I think, is insane. Like Shasta card, no yeah, synergy yeah. is needed. No. No, the Cabal, the Cabal Coffers deck will definitely be able to sideboard this at minimum, but like... Yeah,
2: as a f- cheap, efficient creature. There's so many ragavans and, and nonsense in the format that it's like, you can play some of these main deck, like, you're you're going to be fine.
1: Imagine going Darcy into your opponent, making the... You play turn one Darcy, turn two Lester Trader and respond to your Surveil, but then flash the scene, get a one-gun, get a two two, kill your Darcy, and you concede.
2: Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's definitely a lot of ways that this can go well for the person who plays the Bowmasters so time will tell if the play patterns of it end up being fun um but it is nice i i I enjoy having cards in the format um that affect things like extra draws because as as of currently in modern there's basically nothing playable uh that makes your opponent think about when they're drawing cards other than well it's like we have like legislator right where it creates this mini game where every time any player casts a second spell it connives and that's and a interesting from a game theory perspective, even though it's sometimes frustrating because of how good the Murktide deck is. Speaking of knights, we have a Westfold Rider here. It's one and a white for a 3-1 creature human knight, and it has the activated ability Sacrifice Westfold Rider, Destroy Target Artifact or Enchantment, Activate only as a Sorcery. Um, we have a note here that says, technically, this is unique and best in class. There's a card called Cathar Commando, but Cathar Commando has a activation cost of one, even though it has flash, and it can be activated as an instant. So that's your tension, is do you want the 3-1 with flash that can activate an ins- as an instant, or do you want this 3-1 uh, that activates as a sorcery but has no activation cost?
1: I think it depends
2: on the shell you're playing it. Right. If you're tutoring for it as a one-of, and the reason you're playing it is to disenchant, then this is better.
1: Yeah, this is a two-mana disenchant that works alongside Rallyer or Imperial Recruiter. Sorry, um, the other recruiter. Recruiter of the Guard. Recruiter of the Guard. And also works super well with like Broadback or Rallier in the fact you can just do it twice.
2: Yeah, or Eladomri's Call or Traverse the Ulven Wall because it just costs one less in total. It's literally one less mana. Right. And so there's a lot of reasons why you would want to do that. Uh, on the flip side, Cathar Commando is just kind of going to be a better sideboard card if you're going yeah. to play two or three or four of them. Um,
1: especially because you're probably a white creature deck. If you're not looking to tutor it, this is any other alternative is better. It's particularly the green one. Right. Next up, we've got a Dan Shriver
2: special. This is Council's Deliberation. If you want to show me, take me through this card. Uh, <laughs>
1: Because it reads really badly, but... <laughs> <laughs> so, Council acceleration two mana instant, draw a card. Whenever you scry, if you control an island, you make exile it from your graveyard and draw a card. So, this is the evolution of Think Twice? Uh, sure. But your deck has to scry enough. See,
2: that's not the way I'm reading it. This is the reason why I, I called out Dan specifically on this one, is this is a card that you want to get in your yeah. graveyard without spending any mana. And then have cards that scry, be a deck with islands, and then get to draw a card for free. If you're ever paying mana for the front side of this card, you're doing it wrong. Um, Two
1: mana for draw a card is not good enough. Maybe. Yeah, I don't think this is a sort of... I think Consider is the last nail in this sort of deck.
2: Right. I mean, if you if you want to play this as a th- think twice replacement, then yeah, blue-white control is a fine place to do that because you play cards like Castle Vantress, right? So you have a way to scry every single game um, so that even if this gets discarded or if it's a slow piece of card advantage that you're going to get to draw the extra card. But I, I think the appeal of this card is put it in your graveyard for free, have things that scry uh, profit.
1: Yeah. Yeah, that might be the way it's just played in an unfair sort of way. Yeah. But that's sadly, that doesn't tend to be my style, so I don't even consider it. I'm pondering what sort of... There has to be a, an unfair card that scries randomly, right? Like, sometimes they just scry. Yeah, I mean, there's um, Viscera Seer, right?
2: Like, that's a classic example of, like, a combo piece that scries and yeah. might be in some kind of weird graveyard combo deck where you want this in your graveyard to be activated. Like, do you remember in... Um, I think it's in Midnight Hunt or the other one of those sets. Uh, There's that like jack-o'-lantern that like from your graveyard, you can exile it to make colored mana. This is that kind of card. Like you're going to see this in a really weird combo deck that it's Mm. like, oh, well, when you put these three copies in your graveyard, then while you're going through your deck, you scry one and draw an extra card. And then that extra card, you set it up to be this thing. And then you win the game.
1: Mm. Yeah, that that, that might just be the way. Just draw a lot of cards all of a sudden and win that way. Yeah. So before the surprises as with a council celebration combo crabbine deck. We have Nasty N, which is like the village rights of this set. Two mana, it's additional cost. Mm-hmm. Two cast dispel, sacrifice a creature, of course, a colorless and a black. Draw two cards. If the legendary creature was legendary, draw three instead. I don't think this is good enough, sadly.
2: Yeah, if you sacrifice a legendary creature, you draw three. Uh, I think that Deadly Dispute is just better, and pretty much always is better. Yeah. Um, it also has the optionality of sacrificing artifacts, which is great. Yeah. So we're we're getting up in the mana cost. We've gone through the ones, twos, and the mana, uh, the lands. So we're gonna hit the threes when we get Boromir, Warden of the Tower. Um, who, if I'm reading him carefully, does not have attempted by the ring trigger, which is a little weird for me, but all right. I feel like that's the most iconic part of that character, but maybe I'm wrong.
1: <laughs> I'm, I'm just sad this isn't a two, a two mana two two. This could just be a two mana two two.
2: Okay, so we've got a three mana through three, two and a white, legendary creature human soldier with vigilance. Whenever an opponent casts a spell, if no mana was spent to ca- cast it, counter that spell. It also has Sacrifice Boromir, Warden of the Tower. Creatures you control gain indestructible until end of turn. Oh, the ring tempts you. Yeah. There it is. I, I was hoping it was on yeah, here it's somewhere. in the end. So when he sacrifices... But that doesn't make any sense. Don't worry about it. Zach, shut up. <laughs> you don't get Reckoner Bankbuster, Zach. Shut up. <laughs> you don't get more Reckoners. So it's an interesting split of Selfless Spirit and Lavinia? Yeah.
1: This, this has to be a true drop. It might have been too powerful. Sadly, I think by the time the Lavinia deck centers in Modern, it's too late.
2: Yeah, Lavinia as a 2-drop is frequently too late, right? Um, And then also,
1: it's a 2-2. It dies to a stiff breeze. Yeah. This Tempting You is good. It has some additional upside in the Tempting deck if something pops out of there. It's a nice card. It's just not going to be Modern playable.
2: Yeah, I definitely have a sideways comment uh, on that deck when we get up to the, hmm. I think, four drops. Um, okay. But next up, we have a card that I included, which is Rosie Cotton of South Lane. You want to take me through this one? Oh, I love this card.
1: Yeah, Rosie Cotton of South Lane, or better known as Samwise's Sam, Sam Wife. Yep. She's a three mana, one, one, two, and a white for a halfling peasant. When she enters the battlefield, you create a food token. However, whenever you create a token, put a plus one, plus one counter on target creature you control other than Rosie. This, of course, goes immediately to the Scurry Oak combo.
2: Yeah, so uh, my f- instinct is that this doesn't immediately go... No, it does. It, this goes instant- infinite with Scurry Oak, right? As long as you get it going.
1: You could literally cocoa in 2 and combo your opponent's end step. Because she makes the food that puts the first counter that gets us going. Right, right, there we so go, you, okay, that, that, that you would do it, step. yeah. You could Coco, hit these two creatures, and make infinite 1-1s immediately.
2: Right, um, this is a 1-1 as opposed to the other card that was part of Scurio combo, which I think is a 1-2 or a
1: 2-3? Which is the other, but that's a 4-drop, right? Yeah, but it's a
2: 4-drop, so that's, that's a difference. I think that's a key difference. this is... Yeah, this you can hit this with a Coco. So, um, and then um, obviously it doesn't immediately go infinite with Benthic Biomancer, but like, no. there's there's a whole bunch of cards that this could combo
1: with, so I thought it was worth pointing out. So, this combo wanted me to try something of. I know I'm just going to deep into the food deck, but I just love the food deck. It's like game objects that slash deck. No, no, I get you. And just playing this in like a Coco variant of that deck with Manufacturer, Samwise, Delighted Halfling, coco and these two cards which both either make tokens or interact with tokens and chatterfang i think if you play scurry oak in the same deck then you're
2: you're now you're talking uh and that's a lot of three drops that are all good with coco right which is exactly the kind of deck
1: you want to build exactly so maybe that's just the way to bring back coco you play scurry oak you play Manufactory. you play some you play Rosicodon. And you just randomly come upon and If not, you're just going to make a million game objects and see how that goes. This is the first time making so much food could actually be decent.
2: Right. And in this case, if you... So when you execute this combo, you also get infinite food? No. Oh, no, no. Yeah, she only does that. Yeah, okay. I see. I see.
1: No, she gets it going on ETB. Yeah, you get infinite squirrels and an infinite-sized scurry oak. So we know Spike worked on this set as an advisor. And I think this is one of two changes he made to cards. And this is just me randomly guessing, but A, I'm gonna guess he added the Mega Food sure. trigger, and B, he nerfed right. Frodo. Uh the the equip yeah. one? So Oh, for sure. It's not on our list
2: because I did a search for, no, well, and I did a search for two mana and three mana equipment and they're just not worth doing. For anyone who's curious, there's a there's a two mana 2-2 two, two Frodo that when it enters the battlefield or attacks, you can equip an equipment that costs two or three
1: to him for free. Um, there's very few things that are worthwhile. No, for- and more importantly, as long as it's your turn, you prevent all damage on it. So it would have been a two mana 2-2 sure. that got a hammer on that was ball proof and then holy heat proof.
2: 100%. Run
1: 100%. So someone went ahead and said no this cannot say mana value 3 or less this has to be mana value 2 or 3. Right. Um but more more to the point
2: there's just no equipment that's realistically worthwhile to have equipped for free. Um the closest thing is like Sunforger but even that like there's a better card to combo with that which is Javier Dominguez. Yeah. Uh, the um fervent champion. So it's just, it's yeah, not on our list for now. If, if if you really want to see it later, then
1: you can. So I'm going to add a card that I think Zack didn't see, at least I'm hopeful he he didn't because he's going to love it. Please. So I'm going to add it right now because it's a three rope and it works exactly into what we're talking about. Forge anew. I'm going to read it as I added. Three mana enchantment, a wire and two mana. When it enters the battlefield, return target equipment card from your graveyard to the battlefield. As long as it's your turn, you may activate equip abilities at any time you could cast an instant, and you may pay zero rather than equip the cost of the first equip ability you cast during each of your turns.
0: Ooh! Literally
1: reanimate an equipment and activate it for free. Of course, for sight, people are going to assume hammer, maybe it's hammer sideboard because this reanimates a hammer and equip it, but also turn two goblin engineer, turn three, this gets you a caldra. Or also... Any sort of shenanigans with the armor that gives blast or with our shentum armor.
2: Yeah, obviously, there's some cool stuff you can do with this. That's really interesting. And then, of course, um, as a hammer sideboard card against any red deck, um, the fact that your equipment becomes instant means that if you have a um, the paladin, Pierce seal paladin, then your creatures are immune to damage removal. There's no way you're ever going to be able to deal enough damage to kill anything. Yeah. Uh, that's cool. Thank you. Yeah, I hadn't seen that yet. Um, there are a lot of spoilers coming out. Yeah,
1: rapidly. I, I, I really like this card. This card is, I think, one that we'll see modern play. Not sure if it's own bad combo deck or as a good card, like some yeah. hammer sideboard card that just gets your hum- that just makes a paladin slash stormforce mystic roll on, on together. Yeah, I just need to uh, thank wizards for eventually uh,
2: making the correct decision of banning lurus oh yes this is like lurus but with extra steps <laughs> yeah but that's good there should be extra steps <laughs> like drawing it and putting it in your
1: deck i need not being a creature with lifelink oh yeah <laughs> maybe that's yeah. it <laughs> um yeah so uh there are goblins in the set mord are you excited by the fact that there are goblins in this set there are no moderns there are no goblins in this set we have The Goblin Discord is in shambles. Why the freaking fuck the two mana one one that amasses and everything is an orc and not a goblin? If that creature had been a goblin, oof. Even if it amassed orcs, I didn't care. Just being able to matron for it?
2: Yeah, yeah, understandable. Uh, I mean, I would assume that they did that very specifically uh, for power level reasons. They they specifically hosed you, so uh, I, I don't know what to tell you. It's tough, it's tough. Other than... Yeah, it's just unfortunate that goblins is such a known tribe <laughs> that they don't accidentally make playable goblins, but they do intentionally make playable goblins. Um, so Modern Horizons 1 had a bunch of them. Hopefully Modern Horizons 3 maybe has a couple more uh, when we get there.
1: Yeah, it doesn't happen on accident, right? It happens. They, no, they, 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 they decide, they okay, they we're going to give you some.
2: Yeah. Just like fairies. We, we need a one-mana flash fairy, a spectral sailor, would have made a great Oh, fairy, yeah. But unfortunately, they wanted it to be a spirit. But we're getting off topic, and what we should we should be talking about here is Grishnach, Brash Instigator. Uh, it's two and a red for a one-one legendary creature, goblin, soldier. When it enters the battlefield, amass orcs two. When you do, until end of turn, gain control of target non-legendary creature and opponent controls with power less than or equal to the amassed army's power. Untap that creature, gains haste until end of turn. So you've got a three mana threaten. As base, you're threatening for two, yeah. but if you have other amassed cards, you can threaten for more.
1: And this is a three mana 3 3 that does that. That isn't bad if you have suck outlets. Like this. Pro- well, 3 3 instead, yeah, yeah. right? It's a 1 1 and a 2 2. That's even better than a 3 3 generally. But you can recruit it for it. You can recruit her for it. I think this card is actually good but you need to play it in a deck with enough suck outlets to just. Being able to suck the amassed tokens that this sort of army is going to produce. Being able to get rid of the creature you steal. Yeah. You have to get back on on end steps, so you better have something to do with it. This works. might might work in a Goblin Bombardment sort of thing. I would love that. Uh, You can flicker it for a lot of value?
2: Yeah. A lot? A lot of value. A lot, a lot? (laughs) Because then your Amassed token gets bigger, so you get another Threaten, but the Threaten you get is now bigger. If you play this in Ephemerate, you get two, uh, you get a, a, a threaten for two and a threaten for four immediately. So that's pretty cool.
1: Yeah. I think the card is good. I I think it's a bit weak. It had to be like a bit more powerful in order to see modern play, but. Yeah. I, I don't actually think it's good enough, but
2: it's interesting. Um, And a note that you cannot target one of your own creatures to just give it yeah. haste. Um, some threatened variants allow for that. This one does not. It
1: only targets opponents' creatures and non-legendary and non-legendary. Yeah, that's a yeah. bit too many things against it.
2: It's a lot of riders. I- I'll give you that. Um, next up we have a very, very medium card. So we'll just burn through this quickly. Swarming of Moria. It's a uh, two in a red for a sorcery. Creates a treasure token and amasses for orcs two. Uh, it's just a lot of sort of chaff. Like it's a lot of stuff for three mana and a sorcery. If you want to do some kind of creativity deck or something like that. Yeah, it's two pieces of cardboard. Yeah, and one of them is a treasure token, right? We know that that has a lot of value in one, being uh, a piece of mana ramp, which is useful, uh, two, being an artifact token, and three, uh, being a non-creature token to target for creativity or other purposes, uh, but you also get the orc token. So if you have a transmogrifier or something like that, you can do that. Or creativity for X two. Mm-hmm. Um, not as good as fable, obviously. Nothing is as good as fable, right? But this is a sorcery, and it's a it's a common. So, but we have a really cool card after
1: that. That's why I saved this one for you. This is the Fires of Mount Doom. Fires of Mount Doom. Two and a red for a legendary enchantment. When dangerous, it shocks a creature upon opponent controls and destroys all equipment attached to that creature. That's a weird line of text in a three-man enchantment. Which is so flavorful. Yeah. Yeah, but it's so flavorful. It's so cool. Especially because I think most iterations of frodo we have seen are choo-choos, are also all golems we have seen die to choo damage. Right. So it kills the right creatures. Additionally, for three-man, it creates all the creatures it has and destroys all the rings it has too. Excel the top card of your yep. library, you may play that card this turn. When you play a card this way, Fires of Mount Tomb deals two damage to each player. So slow. Yeah, it's it's weird too that it hits both players.
2: Like it's really. Um I I don't know about that. Um we have a note here that says this is very slow if we have some kind of Zerta effect going. So basically we're talking about uh, reducing the cost of the activated ability to less than three. Definitely. Uh the fact that you can activate it as an instant is nice,
1: but it's only this but the turn. fact that the activation cost is 3. Yeah, and it's not even until your next right. turn. No, no, like I mean, yeah, most, so you have to flip an instant, yeah. right? Like most yeah. cards these like that or like these right now have been like s- being changed towards until the end of your next turn. Yeah. Or until the uh, yeah, well usually something
2: a little bit more forgiving. Yeah uh sometimes it's until your next turn so you can play incidents on your opponent's turn if Hmm. you activate this at sorcery speed and you flip a bolt you're allowed to cast that for the rest of your opponent's turn um so yeah it's it's um there was one from the most recent zendikar set that has like landfall and does a similar thing and my luck with exploration i love that card it's mostly just a better version of this um but this does have the etb (laughs) so at least it has a big upside in that when you play your three-mana grinding enchantment, it does something. It affects the battlefield,
1: and that is worthwhile, right? Yeah. If only the activation cost was like one red mana, or even two, or the enchantment was cost two mana, right? Like two mana shock is a lot more decent than three mana shock. Yeah, yeah. I That's the most painful part. And next... Coming up, though, we got a flavor win, baby. Yeah. Flavor win that I don't think is going to see much play, but someone is going to kill me with this soon, which is Nazgul. Two on a black for a three mana, one two brave knight with Death Touch. When it enters the battlefield, the ring tempts you. Whenever the ring tempts you, you put a one plus one counter on each race you control. A deck can have up to nine cards named Nazgul. Uh, I also want to point out that I... Read the creature type line and went wraith. Hmm.
2: Is that new? And then I just did the uh, Scryfall search. It's no. not. Uh, there are seven other wraiths in all of Magic, so over twenty thousand unique
1: Magic cards,
2: and there are seven other wraiths.
1: No, there's five. Two of those have wraith in its. Three of those have wraith in its name. I, I oh, just went right, down the same right, path. Right. Yeah, and one of them is a true wraith. Sorry,
2: for some reason I assumed that uh, these had been eroded to have the Wraith creature type. Oh, no, they have. Odyllic Wraith is now a Wraith. Okay, so it's five, because uh, Wood Wraith Corruptor and Wood Wraith Strangler have not. Wood Wraith Strangler is not one, yeah. Yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. Okay, so there's there's five Wraiths in all of Magic, and two things with Wraith in the name. And two and four, one of them is from Warhammer 40k. Yes. Two of them are from an unforgettable um, time of magic. One is a format of 3 3, and the other is a Wraith you're never going to cast. Right. Street Wraith. Uh,
2: I just, I'd never seen, I never remembered seeing the creature type Wraith hmm. before. But uh, this is neat. It's very much like the seven dwarves from Eldrain. It's a major flavor
1: win and nothing. All right. So we go turn one, Chaseling. Turn two, Chaseling. Turn three, okay. three Nazgul. We sing for okay. six. Because we put a counter on each of them. And then we go to double Nazgul, swing for like 40. Oh. (laughs) Because if you have three Nazguls in play, it's three temptings, which is putting three plus one plus one counter. So it's plus nine plus nine on each changeling. So you swing for six plus 27 plus seven from the new Nazgul. It's 40, exactly. All right. Exactly 40. That's the right number to swing on for. On turn four, if you only play three Nazgul's.
2: I think the card sucks. Listen. However... Listen, why would you kill your opponent when you could overkill your opponent?
1: Yeah. I mean, only one Nazgul's hit might be enough for for lethal. Right. Because we're considering... Th- 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 there's also the fact that whenever a ring tempts you, you put a plus one, plus one counter... Th- so this enters the battlefield as a three mana, choose three that puts a counter on every race, right? That's the real text yep. of this? <laughs> It's bad but it could be worse.
2: Yeah, yep. Yeah. Um also this is maybe a good moment to relook at the the ring tempting you, right? Yeah. Um because this is a creature. So th- so yeah. what did the ring tempting you do? Right. So when the ring tempts you, you choose one of four um
1: abilities. No. You don't choose. They go downwards, and no? you start stacking them, and it gets all of them. Oh, it goes in order? It goes in order, and okay, so it go- counts the one above as well. It gets all of them by the end.
2: Okay, so but, so yeah. when you play this card, it is it becomes legendary. Yep. And cannot be blocked by creatures with greater power, right? Yeah. When you play the second Nazgul... When the second one comes in... The first one is now uh, whenever it attacks. Yeah, you could change it, but so you can move the ring bearer. In most cases, you're probably going to leave it on the first Nazgul if you have a second Nazgul coming in so the first one can attack. uh, And it gets uh, the the looter scooter ability. Whenever it attacks, draw a card, then discard. Uh, There's a third level, which is whenever your ring bearer becomes blocked by a creature, that creature's controller, sacrifices it at end of combat. So it's like ultra death touch. Um, and then there's a fourth one where it's whenever it deals combat damage to a player, each opponent loses three life. So, realistically, none of these are great abilities, nope. like Skulk.
1: Uh, th- the second one seems like the best one, which is the rummage. I mean, having a Skulking looter that hits for extra three damage seems irrelevant until it's not.
2: Yeah, yeah. I'm just saying it, it's it's something, but it's not yeah. much. So... Uh, and the game does remember how many times you've
1: been tempted by the ring. Um, However, but that's what I was thinking, right? Like, in the first wave of spoilers, we got Frodo Baggins and Bilbo Retired Baggler. That if you go, like, turn 2 Frodo into turn 3 Bilbo, when Bilbo dies, you have already um, get got tempted four times by turn 3. Right. And Bilbo, um, whenever it hits a player, you get a treasure token, so the skull capability actually becomes insane there. I just hope we get enough Temptation Triggers that there's actually a deck for it. Like, five-color relations or a Temptation deck. Because Gandalf also makes it whenever you get tempted, you draw a card. So if you go Gandalf into Double Nazgul, you draw two cards, plus Bilbo, plus Frodo. I just hope there's something there.
2: Yeah, it is also going to be one of those things that's a little strange because, correct me if I'm wrong, but like once you've been tempted four times, then just any time you're tempted, you hand the ring to a new creature and it gains four abilities? Yeah, or you can keep it in the same if that's what you desire, but yeah, exactly. Right, right. I'm saying you don't have to move it, but I'm just saying you will you will consistently have a creature with these yeah. four abilities. Okay. So yeah, I don't think it's 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 definitely something that we have no idea how much it's worth. Um it's certainly more worth more for an
1: aggressive deck than anything else. Um Yeah. I think mostly the thing where they are going super deep is it's more important to get tempted than the temptation itself. Like the tempting trigger is more powerful than the temptation provided by the ring. Temptation is more powerful right. than what you get, which is weird, but fitting somehow. Yeah. <laughs> the ring. Uh, and then we have Bill yeah. the Pony with a, with a funny story by suck Oh, yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, I, I just had the experience
2: of looking at this card and going, wow, Bill the Pony, creature type horse. That's ridiculous you know, of, of, you know, this is one of those things that happens in magic sometimes where there's something that isn't technically a uh, a different race or species or creature type but they just go, well, it's close and we're not going to give it its own one. It's
1: close enough. Yeah, happened with dogs. Right,
2: exactly. For for a long time all dogs were labeled as hounds. Uh and eventually they went, well, this is we we have to fix this cuz all cats are cats, hmm. right? We didn't screw that one up. Um Uh, except for some cats that are cat beasts. Hmm. Um, so I was like, Oh, that's funny. And then I looked it up and I went, Oh, ponies are horses. I didn't know that. Ponies are actually Uh, horses. So tiny horses. Yeah. Fun, 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 uh, fun animal species fact, (laughs) whatever you want to call it. Um, cause I, it's like, it, it was one of those things where I just assumed it was a slightly distinctly different species. Um, much like I don't know, like mountain lions and cougars and pumas and all, all those, they're like different, right? They're very similar, but they're different, right? Um, so anyway, uh, it's a four mana one four. It's a legendary creature horse. It's called Build the Pony, and it has an adorable art. <laughs> um, and it, when it enters the battlefield, you get two food tokens, and has the ability: to sacrifice a food token uh, until end
1: of turn. Target creature you control assigns combat damage equal to its toughness rather than its power. So I think it's mostly on, on the ETV, right? Like, do we appreciate a 4 at ma- 1-4 that makes two pieces of food when it, two pieces of card when it enters as playable? I don't know. I hope.
2: I don't think so. And the main restriction is one of the things you were talking about before, is the food deck is already glutted up yeah. with a lot of 3-drops and also really wants to be a cocoa deck. And the fact that this is a 4-drop just means you're not going to be able to play if it. If
1: only he had been a 3-drop, I would have played Bill as a 3-drop. Right. Like, exactly same card, right. one less mana, was great.
2: Yeah, exactly. It's like, this is not for that. And that's fine. This is a card for limited. Bye, Bill. We love you. Yeah. Yeah. And then we've got (laughs) a very intense, very violent looking card here. Hugh the Entwood. Uh, So for three red, red, you get a sorcery. (laughs) Sacrifice any number of lands. Reveal the top X cards of your library, where X is the number of lands sacrificed this way. Choose any number of artifact and or lands revealed this way, put all non-land cards chosen this way onto the battlefield, then put all lands chosen this way onto the battlefield tapped, then put the rest on the bottom of your library in a random order.
1: So sacrifice X lands, look at X cards, put all artifacts and lands from there to play. Right.
2: The lands come in tapped. Coming which tapped. if you have one or multiple amateur of vigors might be a whole thing. So I, this
1: looks awful yeah. to me. I mean, I it, it. I'm not seeing the shell for it. I'm I'm I think I'm missing something. I look at this and I'm like, what well, am I missing?
2: I think the way to do this is to do something really degenerate with it, like have a bunch of Sundering Titans in your deck to flip into. Because at no point here does it mention the cost. So this is five mana cheat some giant chonky artifacts yeah. into play is my is my impression of how this would be playable.
1: I mean it's made on the fact that you're transforming the ends you're transforming your land into I think, our siege machinery.
2: Right. I understand that. Like from a flavor standpoint, it's fine. Um but from a gameplay standpoint, I just think something like well, the the thing is um Glimpse of Tomorrow is is the, is this is the constructed playable version of this. Yeah. If you play the slot machine glimpse deck where everything's huge, you just you just do this but better because uh, you can do it on turn three from any type of permanent. Yeah. So you get more bites of the apple, and also they can be any permanent type, including emrakuls, and <laughs> that's and better stuff probably where
1: you yeah. want to be, right? But before we leave this card, I want to go back to long list of the ends. Oh, yeah, sure. Just because it maybe it reminded me of Tom Bombadil. Do you remember the Tom Bombadil spoiler? I do. So if you go turn one, long list of the ends, when you play Tom Bombadil on turn five, he will have Hexproof and Indestructible because you have four more Lord counters among sagas you control. Because this goes up to six. Right. So in the saga deck, long list of the elves is particularly good because of exactly that interesting i don't know if there's like that's maybe enough to just have it into consideration tom bombard's ability is super powerful and whenever a saga dies you get a new saga so if you have any way to control trigger encounters maybe just making sure he enters the battlefield with both hexproof and indestructible is good enough it could be but yeah just a reminder of that before we get down to our last three cards uh, the first of which
2: I added uh, is Gandalf the White, and it's because it reminds me of Elish Norn a little bit.
1: Elish, but flashy. But flashy. Uh,
2: so you want to take us yes. through this guy? Because I think if, <laughs> if this has any playability, I feel like you'd be the person who would tell me
1: what it is. I will look into it. So three and double white, we have Gandalf the White, a four five legendary creature avatar wizard with flash. You may cast legendary spells and artifact spells as though they have flash. And if a legendary permanent or an artifact entering or leaving the battlefield causes a trigger ability of a permanent you control to trigger, that ability triggers an additional time. So it's electron for legendaries and also leave the battlefield triggers and gives everything flash. It's a weird card.
2: Yeah, it's definitely. Uh, it, it doesn't like it. It doesn't shut down your opponent's ETBs or or, or permanence triggering, right? But having ETBs and death triggers, or leaves the yeah. battlefield triggers, on all of your legendary permanents, I just, it's just something that is powerful enough that feels like something degenerate is going to happen with this at some point.
1: So how how does this work with the Ugin crop? Which one? They, uh, uh, the little tokens no, that Ugin makes? No, 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 no. The combo, tr- the turns thing. Or Ugin's Nexus? Yeah. No, it's uh, fine. If Ugin's has already put into a graveyard from the battlefield, instead it, and take an extra turn after this one. Okay, so it's a replacement effect. So it never gets put into the gra-
2: battlefield. Or put into the graveyard. But that's leaving the yeah. battlefield, which Gandalf copies. Alright, so you take two turns. I believe you do. Right. Hold on. Ugin's Nexus. Let's read this carefully. So five mana. If Ugin's Nexus would be put into a graveyard from the battlefield, instead exile it and take an extra turn after this one. Yeah. So that, that would trigger twice. All right.
1: Maybe something.
2: Yeah. Yeah. That's definitely one of the most powerful things you could do with it. Um, and then if you have a Karn, the Great Creator, you could wish for Ugin's Nexus again and again. And just go super um, infinite. So I'm glad that this five-mana card, uh, five mana card plus another five-mana card plus a four-mana card could do something maybe powerful.
1: See? Super easy. I uh, mean, I was yeah. looking for a payoff to playing mono-white big man instead of mono-black coffers. Might be tempted that way just because of these, Right, because you could play a Karn, Karn engine uh, with this and,
2: and all those things.
1: Yeah, you're already playing the Karn engine.
2: Yeah, because uh, for a long time, I mean, I, I don't know about a long time, but... There was a while where there was a great mono white devotion hmm. deck in pioneer yeah. that um used the heliod combo but it also had carn and walking ballista uh and and that kind of stuff too so uh yeah we'll see if if this can be anything
1: So I'm annoyed by the fact that any single deck trying to play that weak man in modern Karn just tends to be the better payoff if you're a monocolor. Like, there's no 4-5 mana spell, planeswalker, or creature that's better than Karn in any color.
2: I mean, that's... Yeah, but it just... That's just a... Yeah. (laughs) I mean, it's the cost of doing business when you want. I mean, Solitude is the best white removal spell. I mean...
1: Yeah, but Solitude is the best white removal spell. So if you're playing white, you play Solitude. But Karn is colorless... No no, I, I understand that like it the fact that he's colorless. I yeah, it's just one of those things of there not like a white 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 colorless card or quadruple white card that's better than Karn or four color black or four white or whatever.
2: Well the, the trick is that there may be but you need multiple payoffs. Um and then also the thing about Karn is he's because he's a wish, he's universal. Yeah. Um I would actually I would actually push back and say that in any uh big mana deck that's playing red you can play wish instead but it's good for the same reason karn's yeah good. like literally the same reason is that you just get access to 15 silver bullets or however much of your sideboard you want to dedicate hmm. to it i mean i think what you're saying is i can't believe the only wish effect in modern is the most pay- playable uh big mana payoff yeah. because there's, there's very few other ones other than literal wish, wish. uh and that one can get literally any card. so And it is playable in a smaller chunk of decks. But then the fact that Karn actually has good
1: static text on the battlefield. Yeah, I, I get it. But at the same time, I mean... Yeah, I mean, even if I was not Red, I would play Karn. Because just having a free buy against Affinity and Hard Scales and a huge upside against Hammer is worth it.
2: I wish being able to get, like, uh, lands yeah. and sweepers... Is a big deal. I've seen wishboards play some really gross cards. Uh, And when I say wishboard, I mean... Very specific. Right. But like things like, I don't know, Fracturing Gust, right? Like, Karn can't get anything that competes with Fracturing Gust in terms of power. Okay. But what he can get is mostly almost as good. And then the fact that he's got the body on top of it uh, Hmm. makes it more worthwhile. So, I mean, you're not wrong. uh, But then best-in-class cards are just going to exist. Yeah. Uh, I'm just,
1: there, There is a colorless best-in-class card. I'm just sad it's a colorless best-in-class. I think that's the issue. Colorless should not have best-in-class.
2: Right. On the flip side, I'm just a person who enjoys a lot of the play patterns of Karn, so I'm someone who, like, I just, I like that Karn is the oh, consistent yeah, yeah. Uh, best payoff. It's it's nice. I, I like Karn,
1: especially without, I, I like Karn without without the... Microsynth Lattice? Without Lattice, I agree with that yeah yeah i and i like i
2: like that the way you build karn boards tends to be a little bit different for each deck um the cards that he's getting are different there are like yeah there's like
1: three to five staples but yeah you have sundering no not even sundering liquid metal
2: Yeah, uh, you always have, like, a metal coating. Uh, Centering Titan is mostly there. Walking Ballista is mostly there. Uh, Engineered Explosives or Ratchet Bomb is mostly there. But again, even with those cards... Fralic Afrogenitus slash the Zero Mana one. Right. But even with those cards, there's, like, a sub-game of which ones you pick and why. Right? So, I don't know. Uh, it, it, yes it is one of those things that yeah karn comes up a lot but there's a lot of play to it so that's not necessarily a bad thing there's a lot of modern horizon 2 cards that get played in modern but they create good play patterns so it's okay
1: yeah no no, no I, I agree i like karn i like the play patterns of karn i just dislike karn being colorless and the best payoff it's just a color issue yeah color I, get issue it. Thing. I get it i get it i get it i get it
2: um but i mean the same kind of thing often happens with like what's the best legendary creature to cheat into to play it's almost always Emrakul cool, or gristlebrand hmm. that's just what it is that that's that's the rules of engagement yeah. no matter what color you are if you want to get the big thing the big thing is almost always the same yeah um so moving on to a very complicated card that uh doesn't seem anywhere near good enough Um, it's uh, Aragorn the Uniter. So for a regular old Omnath (laughs) mana cost of red, green, white, blue, you have a 5-5, so he's a little bit bigger. Legendary creature, human, noble, uh, with five different triggered abilities. Whenever you cast a white spell, create a 1-1 white human soldier creature token. Whenever you cast a blue spell, scry two. Whenever you cast a red spell, it deals three damage to target opponent. Whenever you cast a green spell, target creature gets plus four, plus four until end of turn.
1: Yeah, I'm, I'm sad to say, Aragorn. I, I, I can't imagine any world. Wars yeah, I'm sad about that to be played in a constructed format. <laughs> I'm sad about exactly that. It's so close. I think it's so close. I think it just needs even a bad ETV trigger was good enough. I think any sort of ETV trigger was good enough, and that's what hurts me. Literally anything was good enough. <laughs> Right, scry two. Yeah, yeah, even. I think it just needed something to do when it entered the battlefield before it died and that was good enough. Sadly, it didn't get it. Yeah. But Yeah,
2: it's a big flavor win.
1: Uh, that's probably the best. Yeah, it's a big flavor win. It's a great unifier. However, I added it up because I wanted to talk about the next card, which I think might actually see play, even if it sucks. Yeah, and it, for a very interesting reason. Yeah. So we have Sauron the Dark Lord, 6 mana, 7, 6 legendary creature, Avatar Horror, which costs six 3, and Grixis. So 6 mana total. Whenever an opponent casts a spell, you amass Orcs 1, so you get a 1, 1, or you grow your army. Whenever an army you control, this damage damage to a player, the ring tempts you. And whenever the ring tempts you, you may discard your hand if you draw 4 cards. More importantly, it has Ward, sacrifice a legendary artifact or legendary creature. That means a lot of decks cannot kill Sauron. Yeah, so that, that is a very specific
2: uh, investment that always costs a card and also costs tempo. Yeah. It's a
1: really interesting application of the ward mechanic. Exactly. This is, the, the Lord of Ring set has been using this a lot. If I'm not mistaken, um, Saruman has a similar ward. Yeah, this card, an enchantment instant or sorcery card. Right. So a lot of decks cannot even get rid of them. In this case, I think the war trigger is powerful enough for this to just be a win con on its own. You play this and you win. The fact that whenever you the rim tempts you that if you're playing a ring that has any, a deck that has any sort of other temptation allows you to super easily draw four cards, or just because of the fact that it's making one, wa- it's making an army that when it connects you are tempting it like just on itself, like it's sort of self enabling. Right. Might just make this a win card on its own.
2: Yeah, yeah, definitely. Uh, yep. And then seeing a card that
1: costs Grixis mana be uh, powerful is always nice. Oh, they just spoiled a new card, which I think it's at least worth talking with. is a two-man enchantment. So two-man enchantments. Jam it in. I'm just jamming it right now. It's March to the Black Gates. March from the Black Gate. Two-man enchantment. When it enters the battlefield, and whenever an army you control attacks, amass one. So it's a bitter blossom of this set, but without losing life. Yeah. And here comes my question. If I attack with four changelings, so I amass four?
2: Uh, Yes. Okay. Because it doesn't say whenever one
1: or more. Yeah, it's whenever an army you control attacks, because it's just going to assume you have only one army.
2: Right. I mean, army, the, the amass mechanic is built, so you never have more than one army. Um... Okay. So yeah, that that is assuming that it's there are no printed army creatures. But you're right, changelings are armies. Changelings are armies? Um, so. Just in case
1: it's not like a super weird type that No no, it's it's a creature type.
2: Okay. It's it's just
1: a creature type. Okay, yeah, perfect then. Just a weird creature type that no creature has. Yeah, it's there.
2: I believe there's officially it's like four hundred and something creature types since the Great Creature Type Purge hmm. of oh uh, seven. Yeah, I
1: just checked uh, and you got a carbon Souls for army. Yeah, it's
2: it's there. Yeah, yeah, and I I just looked up list of creature types. That's great. Uh, oh, sorry, it's two. It's down to two eighty one. There are only two hundred and eighty one creature types in in Magic. Really, I would have assumed a lot more before the Great Purge which was done before Lorwyn, I want to say. There was, I want to say it was like 800, Mm. um, but there were stuff like there was Elf and Elves. There was Lemur, right? Lemur, yeah, maybe. Uh, There was a lot of weird ones, um, which just made tribal things very silly sometimes. Um, So I'm glad we're in the era where where we are, where Dryad of the Elysian Groves gets errated to be a dryad. 'Cause that's 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 great. that makes sense. It should be that way. Yeah. Um so anyway, interesting interesting
1: to note. With that being said, that's it for spoilers as of now. We're a hundred card in well, around. I, I do wanna uh, I want to um, circle back
2: on on the one ring, which I'm sure we talked oh, yeah. about when it was like initially spoiled. And the only reason I want to mention it is that aspiring uh, spike this week was talking about how he thinks this will make his eight key deck um, potentially a contender. So the reason why I'll get into in a second. So this is a four mana legendary artifact indestructible when it enters the battlefield. If you cast it, you gain protection from everything until your next turn. At the beginning of your upkeep, you lose one life for each burden counter on the one ring. And it has tap, no mana, Uh, put a burden counter on the one ring, then draw a card for each burden counter on the one ring. Yeah, this
1: exponentializes stupidly with a key. You play this on turn four, draw a card, untap, draw two, untap with a key, draw three, untap with a key, draw four, up to eight cards in a turn.
2: Right. So so the specific interaction we're talking about is a deck that can untap this repeatedly, either with cards like Manifold, Key, and... um, I forget what the other, a Voltaic Key, or uh, by playing the card Paradox Engine and then just casting spells. Uh, If you have a Paradox Engine in play, obviously there's many, many ways to very quickly win the game. But the One Ring is one of the fastest because you tap to draw a card. If you have another spell, you tap to draw two cards. If you have a third spell, you tap to draw three cards. All of your permanents help you produce mana, and at this point,
1: you are going off, and there is basically nothing your d- opponent can do to stop you. The only thing that's so the, the ring has a lot of things that just drive me crazy. The first paragraph is insane. You gain protection from everything means it's a fog on itself. Like the turn you play, you're setting up for to combo next turn, and you cannot die on that turn. That's insane. Right. It's indestructible, and it's indestructible. so stuff like force of figure, which is amazing against that sort of deck, don't work. And the fact that the Border Lose Life trigger is connected to the upkeep and not to the activated ability is insane.
2: Yeah. Yeah, it's one of those things that when I right when when I read it, I thought it would be for every time you've been tempted,
1: you lose one life when you activate it. But that is not at all what it does. No, no, I, w- I was thinking about something like... Um, put a Border Control on the One Ring... Sorry, lose a life for every counter on the, on the lose a life for every button control counter on the one ring. Then put a counter on the one ring and draw a card for each counter on right. the one ring. So it would be like yeah, 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 The first time you activate it for three and draw one. Next time you activate it to draw two, but you lose one life and subsequently.
2: Yeah, yeah, I get it. Yeah, and that that's what the way I would have thought. But nope, they actually printed it as a powerful card. Yeah. Um. So Spike
1: might have his cake and eat it with this one. <laughs>
2: Right, so uh, we'll see. Uh, It's interesting to track a prediction from a uh, uh, sort of top competitive brewer. And it is uh, interesting to note that unlike Boromir, this one really doesn't have a single thing that tempts (coughs) you. It is amazing that the One Ring itself doesn't tempt you at all. Yeah. Um, But you're right. We are at the end of what we have that was worth talking about yeah. uh, for the moment. There are plenty of more <laughs> spoilers to come. There are a lot of spoilers we didn't talk about, of course. So if you're in the Discord or if you just listen to this and you want to uh, let us know about your favorite card that we didn't talk about, there's a very good chance it's in the Commander set. <laughs> and that's why we didn't talk about it. Yeah. Um, because there is a corresponding Commander set that's coming out uh, next to this release. Um So uh, that's covered the major topic for today. Uh, I do want to circle back on a discussion topic that was brought to me specifically uh, on the last time I was on. And uh, I'm glad Mort is here to talk about it at the same time, um, because I was asked my opinion on uh, March of the Machine's Aftermath. And I have a very specific thing that I I really want to say that I appreciate about March of the Machine's Aftermath. This is these mini sets. Um, While there is a lot to dislike about them, um, specifically, you know, the fact that it's not intended or useful in any way for limited uh, is obviously something that's going to really, really choke the uh, putting these cards into people's hands. If cards aren't, if packs aren't getting opened in limited, then there's a lot less packs getting opened. Um, But one of the things I really like about a set like this is it's kind of like a little slice of like a Modern Horizons kind of set designed for a standard power level. And one of the things I really wanna highlight here is two obvious things that are exactly what I'm talking about, which I wish could be part of normal magic releases. And those are highlighted on cards like, uh, like Nissa Resurgent Animist that is seeing play in every format it's legal in, uh, I believe, and Niv-Mizzet Supreme.
1: Am I the only one that thinks Nissa is not good?
2: in modern i don't think it's great but but that's not the point the point is it's at least reasonable yeah, yeah, it's yeah, a yeah. card that a lot of people are playing but here's the thing i want to talk about nissa has landfall it literally says landfall on the card it supreme has an ability that gives jumpstart it literally says jumpstart on the card this is not a thing they do in normal releases that's one of the things that I think mini sets are going to be able to do in a way that I really like is that they will be able to put cards into Standard and Pioneer specifically. This is not a big deal for modern players. Some of these cards will be playable for modern, but for, for Standard and Pioneer players, you get an injection of cards that are legal in your format, but didn't fit into the set. Okay. And that's really, really cool and exciting to me, because before, these kind of cards would either just be in the set and not make any sense, or they just wouldn't get printed,
1: right? I, I actually like Aftermath. I just, I, I'm on you on this one. I just dislike how it was printed, and I think it would be great to have like a mini set after or before like the large trans- and transitions. I just dislike the five-card booster for the same price and that shenanigans. No, I, I I get that. That sucks. I agree
2: with you. It sucks. But at the same time, it's one of those things that I'm not a person who buys boosters. I'm just not. I, I'm not. I never will be. Um, I do draft from time to time, but not frequently. Um, and most commons are not playable. Commons exist for the large part yeah. to be part of limited. The, the common rarity almost exclusively exists for limited and a large ch- chunk of how uh, uncommons are designed is to play in limited. I would say it's like 90 to yeah, yeah, 80, yeah. 80 no, 70, 70 to 90% of magic cards never get played in constructed. Formats. M- likely higher. Those are just the, right, yeah. right. And that's the chunk of cards that is missing from this set. What you're left with is the sort of cream of the crop, interesting designs um impactful designs and so i understand that like yes we are being overwhelmed by product releases in in a bit of a way and yes there have been a lot of like money grabs and yes there's things like secret layers where like 99% of the secret layers are not for sure. you they're not for me yeah. but when they do secret layers like oh they do the old border secret layers those are that for, these me. for me. and those kick ass Yeah, there's not enough of them. I want more, but, you know, um, Aftermath is cool. It has a lot of cards that maybe never would have seen the light of day if they hadn't made it. Um, Yeah, I agree. And that would be, it would be too much to put these in the actual set, right? If these cards were just chunked into the actual March of the Machine sets, it would be, it would take away from what that set is. And, and not add to it in enough of a way that made sense. So uh, here's the, a small defense of mini sets um, if you care about any of the things that I just said.
1: Yeah. Yeah, I, I love the idea of mini sets. I, I have said this with Dan. I love the idea of mini sets. I agree with you. Mini sets are just straight into constructed. At least of the 50 cards, then you're like, hmm, this looks interesting, and the other are interesting, but not powerful enough. So I hope they keep doing this. They don't get deterred by this as a way to keep like rotations not as heavily in time, but learn from the economical errors of their of their path. I I think
2: if there's anything I know about wizards, they won't do that. They will not learn any economic lessons. No, <laughs> they'll just they'll just keep squeezing us as much as they can. But on the on the flip side, it, there it is a way to release more cool cards. So we'll take that. Uh, so that's probably it for this uh, episode of Faithless Brewing. Uh, of course, as I mentioned before several times, you can always contact us through uh, various social medias, especially our Twitter uh, or the Discord, if you like us. And uh, until then, I will be doing some streams. I hope I see Mord streaming a little bit.
1: Yeah, I should be back soon. I have been overwhelmed with work, but I really want to go back to streaming now that I'm happy with 4Color mostly. I think a lot of people love to see that deck and it was just gone.
2: Yeah, on my side, I'm preparing for a weekend where I'll hopefully get to play some Pioneer at the face-to-face tour weekend in Toronto. I have to do one of the last ch- chance qualifiers on Friday uh, in order to queue for the main event on Saturday. But I have a 5 under <laughs> my belt with Blue Red Chandra since the last episode I was on. And that's all you need? Yeah, probably. I mean, before one of my best tournaments ever with mono green, the literal best score I ever had with it was three two, but I knew it was a good deck, so I just took it in and I uh we our our team came in second place and I did a lot of carrying, so uh trust yourself. If you think you found a good deck for a weekend and you
1: wanna play it, then do it. Get out there. Get out there. <laughs> Make the thing happen. Exactly. So thanks so much everybody for hearing us. Hope to hear back from you again. Zach, love to see you, but we're going to see each other in stream shortly, and if not, just in another episode. Thanks so much, everybody, for joining, and have a lovely day.
0: Support for this podcast is provided by Brewers Like You. If you enjoyed this program, you can join the Faithless Family at patreon.com slash faithlessbrewing. Your pledge goes directly to help us keep going with fresh brewing content and gives you access to our wonderful Discord community plus bonus content, Faithless Brewing merchandise, and more. That's all for today. Stay safe, and we'll see you next time.